You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Peak Church, located in Apex, North Carolina. Our church is striving to welcome all who are feeling disconnected from God. And so our hope is that over the next several minutes, you will connect with the God that we are talking about, and you'll resonate deeply with the life that this God wants for you. We hope you enjoy. thinking a lot recently about the power of words. Very often, this job involves figuring out which words to say at which time. But it's also true uh, that all of us, uh, we all speak and think and read and hear countless numbers of words every single day. And many of them receive nothing more than just a passing glimpse of our attention, if that, right? In fact, a 2007 study showed that adults speak 16,000 words on average per day. Also, just want to pause and take a look at this study. Study, men talk just as much as women. Is that what we were talking about in 2007? I don't know. (laughs) I think a man wrote that headline. If you think that's hard to believe, though, 16,000 words that we say on average per day You might find it hard to believe that um, it's also estimated that each of us hears or reads an additional 100,000 words every day. It would be easy for us to believe that with the abundance of words that fill our daily lives that maybe they become less important somehow, watered down or diminished. And maybe for some of them that's true, right? The many words I say each day to my dog in affirmation of how cute and small she is, are probably some of the least important words I say every day, or the most important, depending on how you look at it. (laughs) But we would be naive to imagine that the words that we think and say and read and hear don't have an impact on us, that they don't have the power to influence us in significant ways. These past several weeks in worship, if you've been with us, you know that we've been moving through this sermon series called Thou Shalt Not. Uh, We're sort of revisiting some of the more traditional Christian rules. So we've talked about going to church. Do I have to go to church? We've talked about drinking and the way we dress and dating and relationships and all kinds of different things. And today there seems to be really one conversation left for us to have. If you have been a part of our community for a little while, at least, chances are you probably heard me confess a couple of months ago that although I am a pastor, I also sometimes curse like a sailor. (laughs) So when it came time for us to decide who would preach what sermon in this series, Kyle and I just both agreed I was probably the right preacher for today. Kyle has small children at home still, and he uses words like, dang it. So I don't know how much he would have to say about this particular topic. So I am the right preacher for today because I am someone who uses a fair amount of profane language uh, in my daily life. Eep, I'm sorry, Jesus, and I'm sorry, Dad. My dad's here today. Oh, gosh, sorry, Dad. But hey, I learned from the best. I know, I know. It's shocking, it's scandalous, a a pastor who curses, oh my gosh. But also, apparently, it's pretty funny, something about the the combination of my face and my voice and my general demeanor uh, means that when I do say bad words, most people just find it amusing, 
Uh, so that's not frustrating at all. <laughs> but you heard what James has to say about cursing, right? I don't come out so great on the end of that scripture passage. He seems to feel pretty strongly about cursing, right? The tongue is a restless evil, he says, full of deadly poison. Blessing and cursing come from the same mouth, and it just shouldn't be this way. In one sense, he's right. And for those of you who, like me, have, we'll call it a slightly more expanded vocabulary, you know that this is true, right? Um, those of you who do uh, dabble in cursing, uh, remember for a moment with me the first time that you tried to sort of casually say a curse word, right? If you were anything like me, you picked a specific word and you knew the conversation that you were going to say it in and you waited for the perfect moment and then you said it and then you looked around waiting to see what the consequences would be, who would tell you to go to your room even though you were already an adult. And then once you realized that there weren't any immediate consequences, then you kind of stuffed it up a little bit. You started throwing some level two words in there, you know what I'm saying? And then before you knew it, you were using profanity more often than uh, you thought you ever would. So this at least was true for me. And I joked the last time I preached about this that um, I actually learned how to curse when I was in seminary studying to be a pastor. So I don't know if that helps at all. <laughs> Defend me a little bit. Um, but as, as James would say, my mouth is a spring of salt water, which as I'm saying it, I realize sounds super gross. Now I understand why you all sat back there uh, and not in the splash zone up here. <laughs> um, so I, maybe... Maybe you're thinking, um, I can't believe this hypocrite is about to tell me that I can't say curse words, right? <laughs> uh, and don't worry, that's not exactly where we're headed today. Um, in fact, what I want to do, what I think James invites us to do is to expand the conversation beyond uh, just about cursing and profanity to also include these other aspects of our lives um, other than just the words that we do or don't say. Now, I think there is a very important distinction to make here. There is a difference between cursing and cursing at someone or cursing someone, right? I'm not sure how much James would make that distinction, but I certainly will. There is a big difference between, I don't know, dropping a bad word here and there when you stub your toe, right, and wishing harm on someone or diminishing their intelligence, or even, as James says, uh, failing to recognize that they are human beings made in the likeness of God. That is the kind of cursing James is most concerned about. This is also the same kind of cursing that we, as disciples of Jesus, I think should stay far away from. As Jesus instructs us in his great sermon, everyone who is angry with their brother or sister, will be in danger of judgment. If they say to their brother or sister, you idiot, they will be in danger of being condemned by the governing council. And if they say, you fool, they will be in danger of fiery hell. Yikes. But that distinction between cursing in general and cursing at someone, I think is vital to our conversation for today because here's the truth, Christians have not historically just been people who have replaced bad words with phrases like dag nabbit or uh, gosh darn it, what are some of the other ones, right? Shucks, shoot, son of a gun, I don't know. <laughs> I 
Just ask Kyle. He knows all those. (laughs) Um, But in fact, we actually know that the Apostle Paul used profanity in his language too because we see it in his writing in the New Testament. I bet you didn't know that there were bad words in the Bible. Pastor Amanda's not looking so bad right now, is she? (laughs) I'm in pretty good company as it turns out. Uh, In Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, Paul writes, Even beyond that, I consider everything a loss in comparison with the superior value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I have lost everything for him. But what I lost, I think of as sewer trash, so that I might gain Christ. That's the common English translation, an interesting translation there for this very, very powerful statement, right? Well, what Paul actually writes there is, what I lost, I think of as scubula. Scubula is a Greek word. And I think this translation is hilarious. It's kind of close. Paul is saying, I think of it as human waste, but he's also not really saying that either. Do you get it? <laughs> trying really hard. There's kids in the room, okay? <laughs> so that's, that's probably the most famous example. Um, And you'd be hard-pressed to find a Bible that accurately translates that word. (laughs) But there's also this hilarious story about Paul in Acts chapter 23. I I don't think Paul thought it was hilarious, but I certainly do. Um, He's being questioned by the Jerusalem council, this highest order of priests, after landing himself in prison again. And he says to them, before they can even get started with the proceedings, he says, I have a clear conscience! And then the high priest orders a guard to smack him in the mouth. (laughs) And this makes Paul super angry. And so he says, God is about to strike you, you whitewashed wall. (laughs) And then the whole court sort of descends into chaos because Paul has said this to the high priest, which even though he didn't technically say a curse word, it is against the law to speak to the high priest that way. And when they accuse him of breaking this law, he says, wait, I didn't know that guy was the high priest. How was I supposed to know? Well, It's funny that he uses that as a defense because the high priest had a very particular outfit and Paul knew exactly who he was. So that wasn't the first or the last time that Paul's big mouth got him in trouble, but it certainly is the funniest. We even see Jesus himself offering harsh, even insulting words at various points throughout his ministry. Sometimes in the Gospels, we see glimpses of the gentle, humble, lamb-carrying, child-hugging, stained-glass Jesus that we all know. And then there's the Jesus who knows exactly how to turn a phrase in order to insult someone. Some of his greatest hits are the times that he refers to other people as hypocrites. That's pretty mild. Uh, Children of snakes. That's pretty intense. (laughs) An evil generation. Whitewashed tombs. He calls the religious folks, like me, whitewashed tombs. Foxes, fools, and last but not least, he at one point refers to a whole crowd of people as dull-minded. Yikes. Jesus never minces his words, especially when it comes to matters of justice. There's honestly, in my opinion, quite a few people I would like to refer to as children of snakes today whitewashed tombs, people who are clean appearing on the outside and really just dead and toxic on the inside. So does Jesus love it when we get frustrated and a bad word slips out? I don't really know. Maybe not so much. In my experience, though, God does have a pretty good sense of humor. Uh, And so sometimes when that happens to me, I just picture God sort of giggling 
at me. I also had this professor in college who used to tell us uh, in our Greek class, profanity is God's gift to language. (laughs) And what he meant by that was not, not just that profanity is the best thing that you could ever say, but just that sometimes there is an appropriate way Uh, to use a profane word um, in a way that is powerful and that does uh, make sense. It's not just to do it everywhere, but there are times and places where it is appropriate. And maybe that's true too. But this morning it feels really important to expand this conversation. It feels important to acknowledge the impact that words can have on this deeply broken world and on us as deeply sinful people. Like many of you, the events of these past several weeks have just been weighing on me so heavily. The racially motivated shooting at the supermarket in Buffalo on May 14th felt like too much to handle. I had nowhere to put it inside of me, and so I felt like I was just holding it in front of me. And then there was a shooting at a church in California the very next day. This happened to a group of elderly Taiwanese Christians who are worshiping in their sanctuary. And this event comes after years of rising hate crimes against Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders during this pandemic. There's nowhere to put that. Where do we put that? And of course, there was the shooting on Tuesday at the elementary school in Uvalde, Texas, which is about 80 miles from where I grew up in San Antonio. This was the the third most deadly shooting in the history of our country. And one of 27, 27 school shootings that have taken place just this year so far. The more we read about it, the worse it gets. And there's no place to put that. I was actually in the middle of writing this sermon when the news of the school shooting broke on Tuesday. I had already been struggling, trying to figure out what to say, what to preach, what to do to make sense of the events of these last several weeks already. When this came to me, this news came to me. And I ended up having to walk away from writing for several days. I just couldn't do it. I, I didn't have words. I really, I really love preaching. I love working with words. I love getting to, um, to preach to people. But this week, so many times, countless numbers of times, I wish this was someone else's job. I wish someone else would have to figure out the words to say to you. A community of people who are grieving and shocked. Parents of kids. People who go to grocery stores and church. Maybe even people who are feeling numbed by all of this violence in our world. All I can offer is what I imagine Jesus might say to us on a day like today. Words matter. In fact, many philosophers and theologians have agreed on this short and yet incredibly deep idea. Words create worlds. Words create worlds. What does that mean exactly? Well, that thought, that concept, that idea is actually the foundation of a literary theory called reception history. I accidentally took a course on reception history when I was in seminary. I thought it was a different class, Um, but I ended up really loving this one. 
It's about this secular literary theory. And what I learned is that this theory argues that every single piece of literature, every piece of spoken word, every message that's sort of put out into the world has an effect on the world. Words change the world that we live in. This theory posits that even if you or I never read some of the beautiful poetry that was produced by Latin American women in the 20th century, even if you never read that, it influenced the world that we live in and it thereby influenced us. Right? That's what this theory thinks. And the other part of the theory says that as soon as we write or produce words, they cease to become ours in any substantial way. And they become open to interpretation, right? Even if we can talk to the original author, the original speaker, even if we can hear them name their intention, we still are going to encounter our own lenses, our own preconceived notions, our own biases when we interpret what it is that they have said or written. And so regardless of their intentions, we're going to make our own meaning from their words. Anyone who has ever preached a sermon knows that this is true. I can't tell you the number of times I've stood right here after a service and one or more of you have come up to me and said, this is what I heard and this is what it meant to me. Thank you. And the number of times that I've thought, when did I say that? (laughs) A wonderful part of engaging this kind of theory from a Christian perspective is that it aligns very much with what we believe about the Holy Spirit. We believe that the Holy Spirit in our receiving of those words, in our reception of those words, offers us comfort and challenge. It spurs us on to do good work. Those of us who are preachers know that the Holy Spirit really does make our preaching better than it really is. But this idea that words create worlds is exactly the reality that James is trying to get at here. James is begging us, begging us, to become people with fresh water mouths. Not really just people who don't curse, but people who choose to speak words of life and truth and goodness and hope. People who then order our lives according to those words. And James is right. Our world has never needed those words as much as it does right now. We live in this world, um, and, and if it's true that words create worlds, then these past few weeks have proven to us that we live in a world shaped by words of violence, by words of racism and white supremacy, by words of a misguided notion of freedom, freedom that always seems to come at the cost of the lives of other people, some of whom we're memorializing this weekend, we're honoring this weekend. This freedom seems to come at the cost of the lives of our children. We live in a world where men access weapons intended to harm with nothing to stop them. And then with frequency, they choose to use those weapons in public places to do immeasurable harm. Many of you uh, might have read about the 180-page diatribe that the Buffalo shooter wrote. It outlined his intentions, but it also cited this jumble of anti-Semitic and racist theories, things that don't even make any sense. This 18-year-old lives in a world created by words like that, words that he was able to access and then consume over and over and over again until doing something like that made sense to him. 
Wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there is disorder. And everything that is evil. It's so easy for us to despair after weeks like the several that we have endured together. And I really hope that you hear me. Despair is absolutely a proper response to everything that has happened. To this kind of violence, to this kind of loss of life in a grocery store, in a church, in a school. You have permission to feel that despair right now. I feel it. And I believe that Jesus does too. But when we can, when the time is right, James would also say to us that we have work to do. More accurately, he would say that we have words to speak and then actions to back them up with. He would say we should absolutely offer our thoughts and our prayers and then we must also act in accordance with those words. Words that create worlds where change is happening as we speak, as we act. Words that are peaceful and gentle, obedient and filled with mercy. Words that are fair and genuine, as James says. Words that create worlds of justice. You know, one of my favorite parts about the book of James is that James takes the Christian life really seriously. He believes that following Jesus is not to be done lightly. He thinks there are, in fact, Christian rules that we need to pay attention to. But they're not just prohibitive, they are prescriptive. In other words, James thinks that the rules that Jesus lays down for us are not just about what we shouldn't do, but about what we must do. In the chapter just before this one, he says faith is dead when it doesn't result in faithful activity. Faith is dead when we don't act. So what is faithful activity then? What is it that we are supposed to say and then do? Well, according to James, and I would argue according to Jesus, our primary activity of faithfulness as people who are trying so desperately to follow Jesus in this world is to become peacemakers. Now, I know that just sounds like a nice word to say on a day like today, but in reality, I think being a peacemaker is the most challenging occupation in the world. Pastor Kyle talked about this last week. Our world would more often than not have us to be peacekeepers at best, at best peacekeepers. And I think you know what I mean when I say that, but just to be extra clear, peacekeepers are the ones who make sure everything continues as it should. Peacekeepers are the ones who make sure that nothing changes too dramatically or too quickly. That Everything and everyone stays in their place. Peacekeepers maintain the status quo. But friends, if there's anything that we have learned in these past several weeks, it is that this status quo should never be maintained. It cannot. The world we have created with our peacekeeping words is a deadly one, deadly to all of us, even to those of us who would wield these weapons against one another. It's deadly even to them. Peacemakers, on the other hand, are those who make decisions every single day to de-escalate, to disarm, to equalize. Peacemakers are the ones whom Jesus blesses in his sermons. Happy are people who make peace. Blessed are the peacemakers because they will be called God's children. This is why 
the prophet Isaiah says of the coming Messiah that he will be the wonderful counselor and the mighty God and the everlasting father and the prince of peace whose peace will be endless. It will last forever. Established and sustained with God's justice and righteousness. One of the greatest modern peacemakers whose full work we never really read offers us a challenging example through his life and through his extensive body of work. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. frequently preached and spoke about peace, not just as something that happens when there's no tension or violence, but he said that true peace is actually the presence of justice. His understanding of peace aligns beautifully with the conclusion to the section from James who says, those who make peace sow the seeds of justice by their peaceful acts. This was Reverend Dr. King's assessment of the modern world's state of peace written 60 years ago. And yet it speaks directly to our experience today. He says, through our scientific and technological genius, we have made of this world a neighborhood. And yet we have not had the ethical commitment to make of it a brotherhood. But somehow and in some way we have got to do this. We must all learn to live together as brothers or we will all perish together as fools. We are tied together in the single garment of destiny, caught up in this inescapable network of mutuality, and whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. For some strange reason, I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be. And you can never be what you ought to be until I am what I ought to be. This is the way God's universe is made. This is the way it is structured. If he's right, and I tend to think he always is, We are all connected with one another. I believe that if you and I have learned anything from these past several years, it's that. That we are all bound up together in this big mess. Right? That what I say and what I do can have a profound impact on the life that you live in this world and vice versa. As it turns out, the words we speak do shape this world that we share. Our words create worlds, and so the question before us today is not whether or not we say curse words. The question before us is whether or not we curse one another with our words or with our deeds. Through what we have done or through what we have yet again failed to do question before us is what kind of world we will create with our words and our actions. The question before us is whether we will choose to be people who follow in the way of this world that would have us simply to keep the peace instead of becoming peacemakers in the way of Jesus. Instead of becoming people of peace and making the radical decision every single day of our lives to partner with God creating it. Thank you for listening to the Peak Podcast. 
make sure you subscribe wherever podcasts can be found. For more information on how to get connected with our church, please visit us at thepeakchurch.org.